Dogs, and welcome to Outlaw Gamer Radio, the official podcast of OutlawGamers.com. This is the show where we live to play and play to live. I'm Britt Adams, joined by a man who you can find standing by the roadside somewhere near you, begging someone to take his money and give him a special remastered edition of Batman Arkham City, Mr. Lord Popgarden, Lauren! <laughs> I don't know that the, the content, I don't know that the scripting was the funniest scripting I've ever heard, but right. the delivery was up there with the best. <laughs> Sometimes that's what you have to do. Sometimes when you've got shit, you just have to really be enthusiastic about the, sh- about the shit you've got. <laughs> that was great. How you doing, man? I'm great, man. Uh, back from out of town, visiting yeah. a little family, took Z on A little family? Trip. Like as in I'm not very tall family? Uh, no, actually, they're all very tall, as it turns out. My wife's family. I just mean the, the duration of the trip. But uh, took Z to the zoo for the first time. Excellent, excellent. The giraffes really blew her mind. Let me tell you, that's the biggest thing she's ever seen in her life. I'm sure they look like, they, they're essentially like 100-story buildings to her. Uh, I have this amazing photo of her just sitting there with her eyes huge and her mouth agape, staring at a, at a live giraffe for the first time. It's pretty funny. But anyway, um, it was a good time. How about you? Uh, I uh, took a, a trip this week as well, Brent. I spent a not insignificant amount of time in Velen. Uh, that is uh, south of Novigrad, I think, uh, north of whatever the uh, whatever the prologue area is. I don't know exactly. <laughs> uh, White Orchard. Uh, Somewhere in the land of Geralt. I, I keep wanting, I'm trying very hard not to say Tamriel. I keep wanting to say Tamriel. It, it's, it's tempting. Yes, Tamaria. But- um, it is, uh, I spent probably close to as much time there as you did on vacation. <laughs> well, good for you, because uh, since I was on vacation, I didn't get as much Witcher 3 time in, but I'll be anxious to, uh, I'll be anxious to talk with you about what I have played. But before we get there, uh, let's... Let's run down just a little bit of info for everybody about what's going to be going on with the show for the next couple of weeks. Yes, uh, I am leaving. Not the show. <laughs> I'm not, that's not a great way to start that. That's, that's I am, awesome. Uh, I have to go back to Brazil to collect my wife and my dog and the remainder of our things. So I will be gone uh, back in Sao Paulo for about two weeks. Uh, so for the next two weeks, you are going to do a show with uh, unnamed surprise guest host or hosts right uh over the next couple weeks and then i will return brent to record uh our next show which will be released on tuesday uh june 16th the first day of e3 and i think we haven't hammered this out yet brent but we're gonna do some sort of e3 thing we may do um we may do uh, a show each night for maybe 30 minutes uh, so maybe Monday night, Tuesday, Wednesday, we'll do a show kind of thing. Usually by Wednesday night, most of the news is out and over. Um, uh, or we may just do a couple shows during the week, but we are going to do some E3 coverage this year, uh, a little bit more, I think, than we did last year. Uh, so I will be back for that. But in the interim, in the next two weeks, you'll be doing the show with some good friends of the show. Yes, indeed. That is the plan. Uh, and that is subject to change, you know, given the possibility that some of these people... Uh, some of these people uh, might try to shoot me instead of answer their door when I uh, when I come calling. That I do have that effect on people. Indeed, uh, I've been told. But anyway, uh, Lauren's roadside dreams have finally been answered. Maybe we have mounting evidence that a Batman 
Arkham Remaster Edition is is on its way, and there is there there have been rumors about this, but there is a survey now, a survey that uh, that somebody on NeoGaf got a hold of and posted that details some specific things and asks how interested in this would you be? And uh, this survey is just uh, yet another yet another piece of evidence in the in the mounting probability that uh, some form of remastered edition of Batman Arkham Asylum and Arkham City are uh, are on their way. Now, uh, the specific uh, the specific quote that's uh, appearing in this article from PushSquare.com leads us to believe that it is more than just uh, upres textures. Uh, here we go. Quote. It's rebuilding both games from the ground up with upgraded models, environments, lighting, shaders, and post-processing effects, end quote. Now, to me, uh, this sounds like what they're, what they're saying is probably that we're going to see those first two games uh, re-released in Unreal Engine 4. That's, that's just my speculation, but it certainly seems that as opposed to just uh, high-res textures, it looks like they're digging deeper, and that, I, I guess, just, just makes the most sense to me. Uh, Lauren, what do you think the likelihood of this is? How excited are you? What's your reaction? You know, it, it's interesting, uh, especially because you cho- you know you happen to choose to use that for the for the opening. But the reality is, is I, I have to say I'm not like overwhelmingly uh, excited about this. So, uh, and part of the reason is. Because I, I already own both of these games on PC, yeah. and now that I've hooked the PC into my television, right? Um, I, what I, need would you have? Kind of a little bit. I mean, certainly if they redid it in Unreal Engine Four and they and they changed a lot of the dynamic lighting, I would be open to it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I have to say, one of my first thoughts was I already own this on PC. So what are they going to? Are they going to? In order for it to be meaningful to me, they would have to up-res... Uh, uh, or, or uh, I shouldn't say that they would have to remaster the game to a degree that it was better than the current PC versions, right? Um, and you know, I was immediately sort of, I immediately had that reaction of, so am I going to buy this again for the PS5? Uh, <laughs> yes, you will. Whereas, whereas yes, owning it on on PC, I own it, yeah. uh, and I don't have to do that. So uh, I, I don't know, Brent. I don't know how you know. I I, I think I'm more interested in a remastered Uncharted which is only available on the PS4. Mm-hmm. I think I would be more interested in that. Um, but this one didn't necessarily do it for me. I'm just, uh, at this point, I'm just clamoring for uh, the new game in the series. Right. I think that, uh, I don't know. I think I might, I think I might bite on this. I, I don't know. I'm, I'm interested. I guess I want to see, number one, I want to find out if it's actually happening or not. Number two, I want to see what they've done. I, I want to see how good it looks. And, if it is moving the game to Unreal Engine 4 and it really looks profoundly better, then I don't know. I, I might be interested. I, I I guess I'll just have to kind of wait and see how I react to the news and the inevitable announcement trailer that will accompany the news should this actually, uh, should this actually happen. I mean, certainly I, I would be shocked if we saw this before the release of the next Batman, although that would make the timing, uh, the timing would be, uh, would make sense uh, it, it, had they done it that way. Uh, so this is, I don't know, this feels a little weird to me, Brent. There was, I can't find it right now, but there was a misspelling in the, in this survey 
that made me dubious of its of its genuine authenticity. Yeah, of its genuine nature. But also the idea that this even exists right now. Like why why are they I would think if they were looking to remake this game, they they would have released it like say now or or a couple of weeks ago, leading up to yeah. uh, the release of the next one in the series. It doesn't make sense to me that they're doing a survey for you know ostensibly then that they wouldn't release this for another nine months. Um, and I don't. That's what sense would that make? Yeah, it doesn't make sense. So I'm not 100 percent sure how valid this is. I'll be curious to see if it is valid or not. Um, and if it is, you know whether or not it adds any value beyond what the PC version currently offers. True enough. Well, uh, moving on, we uh, there's a story here. This is concerning something that we haven't really talked about on the show before, but mm-hmm. I think a lot of you are probably aware of. Uh, the BBC is making a a drama that is about the the kind of difficulty of Rockstar Games, the Grand Theft Auto series, and the myriad political and social uh, controversies that that sparked. And uh, Daniel Radcliffe, famously uh, of the Harry Potter uh, series, is going to be playing Sam Hauser, and Bill Paxton is going to be playing the infamous Jack Thompson. And uh, it's you know it's just this interesting little docudrama kind of thing that's uh, that's being filmed. Take-Two Interactive, the parent company of Rockstar, uh, has filed a lawsuit against the BBC for trademark infringement in connection with this, uh, this, this show, which is tentatively titled Game Changer. Uh, here, is, uh, here is Rockstar's statement in full. Quote, Take-Two Interactive has filed suit against the BBC for trademark infringement based on their movie currently titled Game Changer as it relates to Rockstar Games' Grand Theft Auto video game series. While holders of the trademarks referenced in the film, title, and its promotion, Rockstar Games has no involvement with this project or goals to ensure that our trademarks are not misused in the BBC's pursuit of an unofficial depiction of purported events related to Rockstar Games. Uh, And then it just goes on, blah, 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 about, you know, protecting their internet intellectual property, yada, yada, yada. Um, but Rockstar, or Rockstar Games, I was going to say, Take-Two's position is that, uh, is that uh, the BBC is, is playing in their sandbox and that uh, they're not going to have it. I'm, I'm kind of curious because uh, there's, there's obviously a difference between copyright law uh, from the United States to, uh, to Great Britain or the United Kingdom, and um, I'm as I was reading this, I was a little bit confused about it because I, I'm not sure that in the if this were a U.S. based production, I'm not sure they really have much of a leg to stand on. Seeing as how all of these people are public figures and the events were widely reported on in the you know in the media in the public domain, the fact that somebody's going to come along and make a film about it, which is sort of based on these public events, I. I, I I was confused as to how how much traction Take Two might actually have in stopping this from getting released or something like that, or if it's just sort of a perfunctory step they have to go through in order to you know be able to prove that they're maintaining defense of their IP and copywritten material, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, I mean, I don't get the sense necessarily. So there are a couple things here that were interesting to me, and I think it's just an interesting story. Number one is that that. Uh, Somebody out there felt that this was worthy enough of a story to make a a, a movie out of, uh, be, albeit a TV movie or what have you, and right. and that it was compelling enough that Daniel Radcliffe and Bill Paxton uh, agreed to 
star in it, right. um, which is awesome. I thought that was kind of interesting. No, that's but, cool. I, I'm total. I actually really want to see it. Like, yeah, it sounds fascinating. And I, but I don't get the impression that they're trying to stop the production necessarily. But it, it really felt like like they're trying to make sure they're protecting their IPs, so that uh, you know, not that they're necessarily trying to protect the Hauser brothers, but, uh, or, or even ensure that they're portraying the, the events properly because it's a, it's a, um, uh, that may be public domain, but that, that in so far as how they're using their IPs like Grand Theft Auto mm. in the depiction that they're, uh, following appropriate protocol. And it, and it says, I was very surprised also to read very candidly that they said, we've tried, uh, repeatedly to come to an amicable solution and they're just not working with us. And so they un- being the BBC and they case. being the BBC. And so unfortunately we're going to have to litigate. And so yeah. I'm curious to know more details about specifically yeah. uh, what, what the points the of contention are. Exactly. Yeah. Right. Uh, but my sense is just from reading that article anyway, is that their points of contention uh, have to do with protecting the IP and ensuring I- that it's not inaccurately uh, or, or cast in uh, a negative light. Yeah, I'm curious if they feel either either just suspect or per- perhaps they know because you know maybe they were given a copy of the script and at one point and when when it was believed that perhaps they would be on board or something like that. But I'm just wondering if they fear uh, how they're going to be depicted. They being Rockstar Games or you know Sam Hauser or, or Sam and uh, his brother, whatever the case may Damn, be. I, I, I'm wondering if there's some fear over their depiction and and perhaps uh they're worried that the the docudrama is going to maybe portray them in a less than positive light or something like that i i don't know i'm i'm very interested to kind of find out a little bit more about what their specific objections are as opposed to the almost boilerplate sort of statement that they've released thus far. yeah and i'm sure we'll get to hopefully you know hear more as as the case moves forward and they're more free to to talk about details of the case but i too look forward to it um all right brett next up we're moving yes. to uh, a, a nice, uh, a nice. Next up, we're moving to a uh, charming little tale of a game whose title I absolutely love, and I can't believe that nobody has come up with this before. Uh, and that is uh, the ukulele Kickstarter. <laughs> it's uh, it's it's all the buzz. Uh, it, it's just all the rage that ukulele Kickstarter these days. It is as, that as evidenced by the fact that they have. Ra- well, let's see what it is right here. From the humble goal. Of $270,041, they have currently raised $2.6 million in uh, just uh, just over a week. They've got 22 days to go Ten, at this point. Yeah, 22 days to go. Ten times the amount they were looking for. So they've actually come yeah. out, Brent, and stated that it's no longer going to be a video game, but they're actually going to send live-action actors to your house mm. to act out what you tell them to do. That uh, they can afford it now. That's exactly right. It might also be worth mentioning that uh, Bloodstained, uh, yes. which you know we we talked about uh, a couple weeks ago on the show, that Kickstarter is also going pretty good. They uh, they were asking for five hundred thousand. They've currently raised two point six eight million dollars. Also with like twenty days left, right? Or eighteen yeah, days? I think, or I think something. eighteen. I think eighteen. Days. Yeah. So both yeah. of those. Uh, so ukulele became the fastest uh, game Kickstarter to is it game Kickstarter or fastest Kickstarter to uh, to a million dollars. They reached their funding goal in like an hour. The other thing that's interesting Ridiculous. about both of these is that they're both. So ukulele is uh, something of a reimagining of banjo and kazooie. Yeah. Um, and bloodstained is something of a reimagining of the Castlevania series, and both Correct. are made are being made by former 
uh, designers from both of those uh, from the t- dev teams that created both of those two games. And so, uh, yeah, Brent, a, a bit, like it's been all over the place, ukulele and Bloodstained, and and how uh, uh, how much money they have raised, and how there's an appetite now for. Um, for games that harken back to the days of yore. And as a matter of fact, Polygon was was kind enough to write an article about how <laughs> this was. I don't, did you, I don't know if you saw this on our I, website. I saw Brent. this. I know what you're going to talk I, about. I haven't actually read the articles, but essentially oh, it's, like... It's delightful. You should really read it. They put out an article that, that talked about how ukulele, Kickstarters like ukulele are killing the Kickstarter uh, industry for game design developers, and then yep. subsequently put out an article saying how Kickstarters like Ukulele are saving the game development. I, I think that I think that goes to show you just uh, how broad the spectrum of opinion on this can be. But yeah, I read the one about how Ukulele and Bloodstained are they're going to ruin Kickstarter for all games because and the, the premise of the article is that uh, these kinds of Kickstarters give. Uh, gamers unrealistic expectations of how much video games cost to develop and uh, and so when somebody comes along and does an honest Kickstarter which the author of the article had done he had been involved in a Kickstarter uh, in in which uh, which I, I believe was unsuccessful uh, but I'm, I'm, I'm just struggling to remember all the details but anyway the author of the article had been involved in a Kickstarter was talking about the fact that they couldn't really ask for the amount of money that they needed to develop the game because all of these projects that have outside funding uh, were were undercutting them, essentially. It's like, oh, well, you know, fucking Bloodstained is only asking for $500,000. But they were pretty upfront about the fact that they had additional funding waiting in the wings and that the Kickstarter was really about uh, demonstrating that there was interest in the game. That, that was not a secret to anybody. Now, perhaps there are other Kickstarters that have not been as forthcoming with that. But anyway, he was he was just concerned uh, about that specific thing, which in my mind, I guess I kind of... And this may already be the, something that, that Kickstarter has in their guidelines, but the thing that I was thinking is, okay, well, that's no problem. Kickstarter just needs to say, hey, if you've got additional funding in place, you need to disclose it, and you need to talk about either sort of like where your Kickstarter funding is going to come in, like what percentage of your overall budget that is, or just how how it's going to specifically be used to further your project. But you know, just transparency. Just, Although usually, I, I, I thought think, you were going to say that transparency will solve this problem for for everybody. I thought you were going to say that uh, that Kickstarter should just put it in their policies that you know if you're asking for less money than other game developers, you should just ask for more money. <laughs> um, but yeah. uh, well, no, that's what the guy who was writing the article wants. Like, like I, he wants everybody uh, to. It's like you know, you know, you, that game fucking is going to cost twelve million dollars, and you only asked for five hundred thousand, you assholes. You, uh, you know, I find I, I feel like, and I, and I can't speak to ukulele in particular because it's been a while since I watched the video. But mm. I find that people who are asking for less money, the couple hundred thousand, the thirty thousand, whatever, are usually pretty upfront about saying this thirty thousand dollars is intended to get us. Oh, we've developed ninety percent of the game. Yeah, now we're completion to the point funds where or something like whatever that. whatever it is. Yeah, I mean, yeah. They're, they, I, I find that they're usually pretty upfront about that. But um, anyway, you know, ukulele. And, 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 and bl- I'm sorry to interrupt you, but just the, one other thing, real quickly, is that I feel that the I feel that like the premise of of that argument against it, it always kind of comes back to Kickstarter is going to mess things up because people are stupid. 
in this case, people are stupid. They don't know how much video games really cost because of these unrealistic expectations. I don't think that's true of gamers. I think gamers are one of the most educated and knowledgeable uh, cons- group of consumers in, in any medium. I, I think that gamers really know their business quite well, and I think that uh, I don't think that claim holds much water in light of the audience that's being discussed. I agree. I think, Brent, what you, what you get is uh, I, I think you largely get funding based on what what people are interested in supporting. Yeah. Uh, and that's, you know, people are interested in supporting these, these projects. And, and there's, as I said, there's been talk about how there's an appetite out there for sort of a, some hearkening back to the days of your and Brent. Oh, I'm going <laughs> to nice. use this as a segue. Nice oh, this, segue. Is a, this is a yeah. good one. Um, is uh, the last, the last article up in the garage this week. Uh, and that is a huge announcement in my opinion from a company uh, that you may have heard of called retro. They run a little uh, magazine. Little magazine, you know. We have, the, the, you know, guy that edits the magazine you might have heard of. His name is Daniel the Hair Kaiser. You know, no big deal. Just coolest guy ever. That kind of thing. That's right. Well, apparently, Brent, this last week, I believe, uh, Retro announced the Retro VGS, the Retro Video Game System, a, a cartridge-based console. Yeah, buddy. Uh, that they are going to be releasing and we don't know a ton of details yet except that uh it will play uh 2D games, new, original 2D games and some of the old sort of N64 style games. I'm not saying specifically we don't know what games they're going to be made for it. We don't know price points. We know it's going to have its own controller. You uh, said N64, but I think you mean Super NES. Like I, I think they were talking about like 16-bit era Oh, games. you're right. Six, I'm sorry. Forgive me. Yes. Uh Super NES. And uh uh all I can say is this looks super, super interesting. I knew nothing about it. I was very excited to see one of our listeners uh, posted about it in the uh, activity feed. Checked it out. It was a very pleasant surprise to see what the boys over there at Retro are doing. I highly encourage you to click on the link and go check it out. I think there is going to be an audience for this device. I'm very interested to find out if that's the case. I think that what's really interesting about this console is the philosophy behind it. And I suppose that it's it's no surprise that uh, it's coming from Mike Kennedy, who is the uh, the publisher of Retro Magazine, and uh, this is this is kind of his brainchild. and And really, this console is a is an answer to uh, a direct answer to a lot of the things that we have talked about on this podcast that we talked about back when uh, we were Epic Battle Axe on on both of the shows there, and the the shenanigans, the endless shenanigans that seems to have uh, seems to have have shackled gaming uh in recent years and i remember i remember one of the, i think it was one of the final episodes of, of battle cry where we were doing we were doing viewer questions and somebody somebody asked a, a question that i ended up answering about you know you know when did when did all this bad stuff happen in games and i said when game consoles became internet connected that's that's when all this stuff started you know dlc broken games with you know giant day one patches and all that kind of thing and the retro video game system is really an answer to all that in the sense that they're saying it's going to be cartridges one and done you put the game on the physical media and the game goes in the console and that's it there's no there's no updates there's there's no go back and fix it and i think that and there's no DLC and or anything else to buy after. You buy the cartridge, you own the game, it works in perpetuity, you collect it, you put it on the shelf. It's just, uh, I, I think it's just somebody kind of getting fed up with the, uh, with the business that video games have become and, and are trying to kind of pull it back 
in uh, in that direction. I'm very very curious to see. Uh, you know, they're they're planning uh, they're planning some sort of Kickstarter, and I'm very very curious to see how it's received. I, I know that there's a lot of people that are upset about those kinds of business practices. The question in my mind is whether the style of games this thing's going to support, the kind of you know 2D uh, retro style, whether those games and whatever price point this console and the games are going to have, yep. whether that is a compelling enough combination for people to jump in with both feet. I but, think, uh, I think you hit the nail on the head, Brad. I think it's going to be the combination. I, I, I yeah. do think that price is going to play a big part in this. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and uh, and the types of games, but I think I think done right uh, that that there I think that there could be an audience for this. I mean, just the idea of being able to stick my cartridge into something again. <laughs> Ever since your wife's been in Brazil, Lauren's been making those kinds of jokes. <laughs> <laughs> And we are back in the clubhouse. Pull up a chair, grab a beverage of your choosing, and uh, we're going to have a little uh, a little discussion on The Witcher 3. But before we get to The Witcher 3, how about some more Witcher 3 in the poll results from last week's main topic on The Witcher 3? Before we get into this week's poll and then the topic, yes. can we can we stop for a minute just to talk about which? Oh, three? why don't we do that? Because what else are we going to talk about? Oh my God, nothing. Okay, so uh, last week's poll, right? Let's yeah. do last week's poll. The poll, Brent. We were talking about whether or not um, CG Product Red is getting a pass uh, in. On this sort of issue of downgrading the graphics in The Witcher Three, Downgrade and I can tell you after as as downgrade. We've now come to know it. Uh, Having played a significant amount of the game, uh, I'm going to go with Mm. no. But um, I do want to apologize, Brent, uh, because I I, I was uh, what I think is maybe one of my most uh, egregious errors. Uh, since we've done the show, is that last week I, I kind of made a big deal about the, the fact that not so much that things changed with the relative the graphics, but that they went ahead and used it as a marketing tool, specifically in that trailer that I alluded to, in which they put all the E3 awards uh, on the front of that trailer, and I thought that was disingenuous. And and I have to say, I made a mistake, Brent, okay. uh, because I was under the impression that that trailer was released in the last four or five months. Turns out it was actually released just about a month after or two months after uh, E3 of 2013 when they got those awards. Right. So uh, they have not since used that as a marketing tool. And that was a bit of an oversight on my part, pointed out, of course, by one of our dedicated listeners. So I do apologize for that. Right. But well, and, and with that in that, mind... That's, impo- that, that's important, to I think, to correct the record on, because certainly uh, that colored our, our discussion on the matter. Well, it certainly was at the crux of the issue for, for me personally, yeah. but... Um, we put up a poll, Brent, and you asked, do you think CG, CD Projekt Red did anything wrong with marketing the way they marketed The Witcher 3? And it shook out like this. Coming in in third place, sure, they sold one game to reviewers and another to game players. Uh, with 40% of the vote coming in in a not-too-distant second place, was nah, it's no different than a target render trailer. Uh, and coming in in first place with 45% of the vote, Brent, was it's a bit shady, but it's not a deal-breaker. There you have it. Uh... And I, I will say that, uh, once again, you guys are all wrong. <laughs> uh, that's, usually not, that's usually not how it works. <laughs> no, I'm going to talk about, I'm gonna talk about uh, the amazing experience that has been playing The Witcher 3 in the next section, Brent. Yeah. But I will say that I don't feel like I look at this game by any stretch of the imagination and think downgrade. Um, yeah, I, I, I think that... Uh, I, I think that... 
maybe even if it were another developer and the situation were exactly the same, I, I, I think maybe people would be a little bit more uh, cynical about it. But I think that CD Projekt has uh, gained enough goodwill with people. I, as I think I might have mentioned last week, I think that the fact that it's this particular developer and they have uh, a pretty good relationship with uh, with gamers uh, in general and their fans specifically, I think that you know that people are, are willing to... Uh, to, to hear them out and give them the benefit of the doubt. And I'm going to talk a little bit more about hearing them out uh, in, uh, when we go into the sunset later on. But we'll get to that. Uh, for right now, let's talk about The Witcher 3. Again. Yes. <laughs> yes. Oh, God. Yes, friend. A thousand times, yes. Uh, there's an interesting... Well, this isn't really about Witcher 3. It's about... Witcher 3 is the vehicle. Yeah, yes. So- somewhat, uh, somewhat connected. But uh, what we're going to talk about is... Uh, the reaction of one developer to a a uh, one review on review of yeah. The Witcher Three, and the article that we're linking to is called "The Boy Who Cried White Wolf" on Polygon's The Witcher. You 3 see what review. he did there? You see what he did I, there? With I the... do see that. And this is yeah. uh, this is from a, a developer. Actually, this was a, a piece written by a developer named Adrian Kamirlash, and I hope I'm pronouncing Kay. that right because I went through Kay. a lot of trouble. To try and pronounce this guy's name right, but uh, he's—I think uh, Brent, I think it's Schmeilars. Uh, I'm almost positive you're wrong. Almost positive. <laughs> but anyway, uh, Mr. Kamirlash is uh, is a Polish uh, game director. Worked on the Vanishing of Ethan Carter. He was at People Can Fly uh, before that. Uh, so you you may be familiar with uh, some of his games. But to get to the actual point that he's making, I think is pretty interesting. And uh, here's. Here's what he says in the first line. I consider Polygon's review of The Witcher 3 poisonous to the industry, to gamers, to game developers, and to game journalists. Uh, pretty, pretty provocative uh, opening. And he goes on to talk about why. Uh, he says that there's nothing really wrong with the review in terms of in terms of the wordsmithing and so forth, that he thinks that it's, it's fine uh, and does the job of helping gamers make an informed choice. But he also says that uh, that the review does some pretty some pretty well toxic to use his word again some pretty toxic things, uh, and he's he's kind of disappointed that a review site like Polygon would allow this to happen. Uh, Lauren, why don't you talk a little bit about uh, the, the the two major points of contention that he has with what Arthur Geis uh, says in his review of The Witcher Three. Yeah, essentially, he says that Arthur Geis calls CD Projekt Red misogynistic racists. <laughs> In so many words. To, to distill it down for you, mm-hmm. Brent. Uh, so r- really, so the issue he has here is, is essentially that he feels that Arthur Geis is uh, injecting his own personal social agenda into his reviews yeah. and that this is poisonous, as he said, uh, to every aspect of our industry and that a, that a, a truly skilled critic not a, he, he doesn't attack Arthur's writing, uh, as you said, Brent, no. but a skilled critic uh, can set aside his own personal biases and agenda and uh, evaluate a piece of property uh, while trying to look at it from different perspectives uh, and at least understanding the nature of the property. So basically, he calls out two specific pieces of Arthur Geis's review. Um, and if, if I may, Brent, I'll just read them to you very briefly. One, and one of them literally is about essentially that Arthur Geis is talking about how the game uh, depicts women and how it's misogynistic and there's not enough female representation. And the other one is about 
um, how there are not enough people of color in the right. game. And, and the, the passages in specifically that uh, Mr. Shamayalar calls out. Uh, Come here, Lash. <laughs> I'm, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Adrian, I'm sorry. Uh, the the, the uh, passages that he calls out are as follows. So this is from Arthur Geis's review. Also, and, and I, I want to read this to you, Brent, because it's very clear that um, uh, Arthur Geis is, uh, while he's not outright saying it, uh, he is making very clear judgment okay. here, right? So, uh, and, and I'll kind of expand on that in a little bit, but the, the, the passages read as follows. Also, while I do not by any means see every city, burg, and outpost in The Witcher 3, uh, Witcher 3's world in my 70-plus hours spent with it, I don't recall a single non-white humanoid anywhere. Not in Skellig, not in Novigrad, Oxford, or anywhere else. And he goes on to, to just sort of talk about that um, a little bit more. The piece where he talks about, um, in his review, about female representation, he writes, When they're not being murdered, women in The Witcher 3 are comically sexualized. Nudity is everywhere. Think Game of Thrones on HBO. And even when they're dressed, female leads don't have it much better. Uh, and he goes to, uh, on to talk a little bit more to give a specific example. Now... Uh, I am inclined, Brent, to agree with. Uh, now I don't even know how to say his name properly. Kamirlash, Kamirlash, Mister Kamirlash, uh, in the way in which he is challenging Mister Geis here. I mean, you alluded to the fact that there's history between the two, and sort of that. So that's understood. But but it doesn't. Nonetheless, that history uh, does not undercut the validity of his arguments. And essentially, you know what I thought of as we were sort of preparing to talk about this subject, Brent, was I thought of Casino. Yeah. Um, or The Godfather, two just, in my mind, fantastically made films. Yeah. Uh, both of which are uh, extremely um, uh, distasteful in their treatment to women. Certainly. Uh, and both of which uh, and cer- have a, a noticeable lack of people of color in the films. But, but it's not a critique you hear leveled at those films. And I could name you another hundred examples. Sure. Um, uh, you don't hear those critiques leveled at those films because those films are depicting a world in which there are uh, not a lot of people of color, and in which there are uh, There's where not the, a lot the val- of respect for women either. Correct, and the value system around women is uh, very is skewed. Not it is very skewed, in my personal political opinion. Yeah, but it's a representation of those worlds, and so it does seem odd uh, to. Um, to, to, to inject those arguments as, as, as a um, critique of the game. Right. Now, if he had written it, Brent, in the context of, um, I found this to be a difficult, difficult world to spend time in because it was noticeably lacking of people of color right. and, and it, it did not treat women. It wasn't attuned to my sensibilities, right. and, 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 it, and I found it constantly bothering me. As right, and it, to, and it did not treat women appropriately, and I, I find that difficult that to be a difficult world to be in. Right. As opposed to, I find the developer immoral uh, for, for making the game this way, which in fairness, he does not, he does not come out and say that exactly, but he infers it very strongly. Right. I, I think the absence of, so I think a, a more well-crafted review would have called it out in the way that we were just discussing, Brent, and, and followed it up with, so if you're a person who shares with my sensibilities, right. this may not be the game for you. Um, if he, I think the absence of some of that kind of verbiage uh, makes the inference in what he's written significantly stronger. And it does feel like he's pushing a particular political agenda here, and I do think it's inappropriate. Um, um, I agree with you. And I, I, think that, I think that you're kind of right to point out that there, there's, there's a difference between the artist and the art 
And, you know, just because Francis Ford Coppola depicted a world in The Godfather uh, in which uh, the Italian mafia of that period in, in the 20th century were very racist and openly so uh, with each other uh, and, and did not uh, have a lot of respect for women. I don't see anybody accusing Francis Ford Coppola of of having those values himself. They see that the, the, the artist is, you know, is creating art depicting a particular uh, a particular social circumstance in a particular time, and, uh, and and nobody's crying foul on that. It'd be the same thing, as, you know, as if people complaining about there's not enough white people in uh, in a movie like Boys in the Hood. It's like, well, you know, there weren't a lot of white people living in that neighborhood. So, you know, how would that really how would that really have anything to do with the the culture and time? Uh, that is that was being depicted. Yeah, that is being depicted in that movie. Or, or you know, yeah. it's like, oh, you know, there's not enough white people in Sleeping Dogs. It's like, well, why would there be? You know, you know, this is interesting, Brent. If you go back and and re- I was sort of kind of relooking over those posts. Yeah, and he does not anywhere in here say. Uh, I mean, he says things like, "There's another line that that." Uh, um, <laughs> Schmeilers. Schmeilers. Thank you. Pulls out where he says, that said, this is pulled out of Arthur Geis' article. That said, the world CD Projekt Red has created is oppressively misogynistic. Um, I mean, he's he's talking about the world that was created. Yeah, well, Uh, and he's not, and that's the thing, he's saying, I think the the language of that sentence is pretty important, as uh, Mr. Kamirlash himself says. But, I mean, if you really want to parse that out, He's not. He's not saying the world of The Witcher Three. Blah blah blah. He is assigning ownership of the misogyny to CD Projekt. No, he's assigning ownership of the world, not of the misogynist world to CD Projekt. Well, but he's not wrong in that regard. No, they are the authors of it. But uh, I, but he doesn't seem to be affording them. You know this this. There's a difference between the artist and the art that that we are are talking about right now. He doesn't he doesn't seem to be making uh, that distinction. But I, and I don't know. I mean, you know, may, maybe we're pressing this button, you know, too much. Maybe he doesn't really mean for that to be the case. Maybe we're blowing it out of proportion. But I have not seen a response by Arthur Guys to this article. It, it, he's skirting awfully close to a line of saying uh, that the people who created this game are misogynist for. Uh, doing it the way that they have for depicting uh, races and women as they have done. And as far as the race thing goes, I, I mean, I, I kind of agree with Kamir Lash. I think it's a non-issue because this game is about European Slavic folklore, uh, which is not replete with diversity. You know, it, it's, it's about a specific area of the world in a specific time when there was not a lot of diversity. It was a bunch of white people in that part of the world, and the game is about that. And so I, I, I just I don't really think that that's got a lot of validity to it. I, I, I don't know. Like, What's the expectation? Is the expectation that all video games must now, first and foremost, be social or political commentary that agrees with Geis' viewpoint in order for it to get a good review or something? You know, I mean, like, and, and I'm just... I'm just not exactly sure what the logical conclusion of that line of thinking is. You know, what's interesting, Brent. I have to tell you. So, so I went back and read the passage and I thought to myself, when you really read the passage that I read to you closely mm-hmm. in, uh, Kamir Lash's article, um, he, it, it, when you, when you read the passage that Kamir Lash pulled out from Arthur Geis, the words are crafted, uh, quite well in that they do, 
they're open for interpretation and they don't, you're right, they don't accuse, outright accuse. However, so I, I thought, you know what, maybe I should go back and read, uh, you know, reread Arthur Geis's review to see the context of how it's in there. Yeah. And I'm looking for it. And, and, and this doesn't, this doesn't, uh, this doesn't include the part that, um, so if you look at, at, at the part, the paragraph I read when it says, when, when they're not being murdered, women in The Witcher 3 are comically sexualized. Right. Uh, if, and if you look above that, um, and it, up all the way, it includes uh, the phrase that I read where he says, that said, the world of CD Projekt Red is created and possibly misogynistic in some ways. There are fully six paragraphs dedicated to just this topic. Right. To just the part about women. Not the part about race, but just the part about women. There are fully six paragraphs that are dedicated to that. It's, and it's, I think not, that's just a, a, it's not just a throwaway line in, in the review, then. It's a pretty major focus. No, it, it's almost... I mean, if you take out the little wrap-up, it's essentially... The, the final third of the review is about the attitudes towards women. Right. Um, and that's interesting. I, I encourage people when, when you come into the show comments to comment about this, to, to read both uh, pieces here. And, and I, I don't know if I, which one I would start with. I mean, maybe I would start with Mr. Kamir Lash's. Uh, am I saying that right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, that's okay, very close. I'm sorry. Uh, article, but it, it is there is a, a, a what I would consider to be a disproportionate amount of time spent on that in this review. Yeah, I, I think that I think well, I mean, disproportionate in terms of <laughs> in terms of uh, of where you and I are sitting. But I think for for Mr. Geis and and I don't know, I mean, you know, maybe maybe Polygon is an organization, or maybe their their readership in general. Uh, you know, maybe they maybe they really want to have that. You know that. Uh, social justice warrior mindset first and or, or you know for at the forefront of the review uh and, and i mean certainly that's that's fine i mean if uh if if that is really important to gamers and making a purchasing decision there ought to be a, a review outlet that is addressing those concerns um but there ought to be other review outlets that are looking at the game from different perspectives as well Regarding the uh, regarding the thing about about sexism is in the game, uh, Kamir Lash makes an interesting an interesting point that that I think is is worth repeating. He 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 actually doesn't really dog guys all that much uh, over the portrayal of women. Um, he he kind of sums it up to to say you know. That if Geis wants to be sort of a, a neo Puritan about that, or and he specifically says a neo Puritan American. And wants to kind of talk about this with like-minded people uh, who might be offended by women being portrayed as sexy, then that's fine. You know, that that's that's down to taste. Uh, he he doesn't give him too much pushback on that. But I think that the thing that's interesting about that, given the fact that uh, Kamir Lash brings Anita Sarkeesian into the argument a little bit, talks about how he feels some of uh, Geis's uh, Geis's viewpoints are being informed by her. Uh, tropes versus women commentary. Um, I think it's kind of interesting to see how this is sort of played out, given the fact that uh, seemingly, you know, feminism as a as a social cause uh, is is the foundation for a lot of uh, these kinds of criticism. But there's enormous disagreement within feminism over sort of old school sex negative feminism and more modern sex positive feminism. And the, the idea that, that you can't be a feminist and disagree on that point, but like it can only go one way and you have to agree that, 
you know, that, that depicting women as sexy is bad or, or exploitative or whatever. I, I find that, I find that really interesting. That's something that just, I personally think kind of end up thinking about a lot as I see how women are represented in media. And it's something that I pay attention to a lot these days as the father of a daughter. And it's just one of those things that I, I think a lot about and kind of uh, find myself really trying to figure out where my footing on the issue is so that I can represent it to my daughter as she gets older in a, in a way that I'm comfortable with and that I think is positive for her. Uh, it's one of those things that I'm very interested in, particularly right now. Right, but do you want do you want that to be a major point in your video game reviews? Do you want that to be so? I'm reading I'm reading his wrap up now. Yeah. Right. His wrap up is two paragraphs long, and it begins with this sentence at the beginning: "The Witcher three, The Witcher three subject matter. It's almost defiant, doubling down on its treatment of women as titillating props for Geralt and the player, even as it tries to flesh out more female leads. Is its most disappointing aspect." I can tell you right now that uh, there's plenty of women that I know uh, who are delightfully titillated uh, by Geralt as a sexual prop. Well, that's a, that. Well, I've talked with a couple of uh, my friends who are really happy about that bathtub scene. Let me tell yeah, you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Did you see that? Did you see the Conan O'Brien uh, uh, review? The uh, um, the uh, Clueless Gamer. Bit? The Clueless Gamer. It was hysterical. Oh man, uh, you could watch. You could watch the first part of it, and it shows that bath scene, and it's just it's absolutely hysterical. Yeah. Um, no, but. I'm, but but I mean, even though that that is something that concerns you, Brent, and and certainly um, it's a reasonable thing, and a, and a conversation about feminism and about you know its role in video games and all that is an interesting one. But does it deserve? Uh, you know, again, I'm tr- I'm trying to give Arthur Geis the benefit of the doubt, but I read that wrap up and I think yeah. that that is the single most disappointing aspect of the game for him. So so if he watches The Godfather and he's disappointed that they beat women in The Godfather. Does the movie get a seven because of it? Right. And if so, is that like, is that, are these just like supposed to be sort of opinions? Certainly reviews are opinions, but are they opinions based on sort of political beliefs when you're at, again, I, I mean, I think, you, I think when you, and I, 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 I hate to use this as an example, Brent, but I honestly don't know what else to use. But okay. if, if you're specifically writing for, say, a, a, a website that identifies as a Christian gaming website, okay. right, that, that to me intimates to you, to you that there is specifically a, a value system right. associated. They're going to have a more conservative American traditional kind of. Well, they're they're identifying they're identifying as associating a value system, right? Uh, with in this case Christianity, it would be the same thing if it was Jewish or whatever. Okay, a certain value system along with this sub- like marrying the subject matter. Okay, but when you have a mainstream website like a Polygon or a Kotaku and IGN that do not self-identify that way, certainly do not publicly make statements. Now they may be that way, right? Like CNN may be pretty damn liberal, mm-hmm. um, but uh, uh, Polygon certainly doesn't self-identify as um, a, 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 with a certain belief system, right? Right. Like if, you, um, if you tune to Fox News, you know what you're going to get. You know you're going to get you know people that don't like President Obama, don't like Democrats, and they're going to say that. You, you, you know what to expect. But if you go to an outlet that's basically not claiming any political sort of bias, and you get political bias, then... There's sort of right. a, it, an unfair quality to that. Is that what's happening here, or is this just one man's opinion? And I, 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 I don't know. There's something about it that, yeah. that still, after I'm trying to give him the benefit of the doubt, but it does seem like, uh, it, it seems like it, it played hugely on the way that he reviewed this game, uh, and, and I'm not sure if I'm comfortable with that. I, mean, I can't say I'm a hundred percent. I don't know. I'm kind of on the fence. I won't lie to you. I, I guess that I'm not. <sighs> 
I'm not all that surprised by it. I mean, given given the fact that given the fact that yeah, Polygon, you sort of expect this from Polygon. I, I, well, I mean, given how Polygon, I was not surprised at all that Polygon and Kotaku went the way they did on GamerGate. There was see, there was I just no don't shock like, there to me at all. I don't. I, although I don't read Polygon a ton anymore, I, I don't think of Polygon. I don't think of them as like a. I mean, I was—I didn't read enough on Gamergate at the time. I don't think of Polygon as like I should expect this from Polygon. I should expect a review. I expect the same review from Polygon, and I don't mean the same review, yeah. but the same quality of review. And please, this might be insulting to Polygon, but I, but I expect the same quality of review from Polygon or similar attack uh, as I would from say an IGN or a Gamespot or a um, you know I, I don't expect to see. I don't know. Well, I just I, I don't know. But then so here here's another way to put this. Sorry to go interrupt ahead, no, you. No, go ahead. Go ahead. What if we're reviewing hatred? <laughs> Does that, I mean, is that any different? Yeah. I mean, right. hatred is completely offensive because of the su- nature of the subject matter. Yeah. But, and, and that's the, that's the thing about it is that I'm fine with people. I'm fine with people being offended. Uh, and I'm fine with people sharing that viewpoint. And it may be, it may be a value to, uh, to some people. I mean, you know, they're, like I said, they're, they're, I'm sure there's people out there in the world that share Mr. Geist's sensibilities and looked at The Witcher 3 and thought, you know what, I'm not buying this game if I find out that, you know, there's a metal bikini anywhere in sight. And, you know, they read his review and like, that's it, I knew it, you know, fuck this game, I'm going to go play something else. Uh, you know, in the marketplace of ideas, I think that everyone should be represented and, and their their mindset represented. So, you know, all of that's fine, but there is... I suppose that the the thing to kind of come back full circle to the point that um Camille Lash is making what makes this toxic for for the industry uh as he claims uh is the idea that if you if you start crying wolf if you if you take the nuclear option at the first whiff of a metal bikini then aren't you detracting from actual problems surrounding misogyny, sexism, uh, women in society, and so forth? If you if you do the same thing because a game that takes place in a predominantly white uh, region of the world, or at least at that time, uh, and complain about the fact that they're depicting it uh, depicting as predominantly white, as predominantly white, given the fact that historically that would have been accurate. If you are going to start crying racism, as soon as that happens, isn't it like you're crying wolf? Aren't you? Aren't you in fact going to just overuse those charges to the point where people start ignoring them, and then so, every yeah. charge, including legitimate charges of racism and misogyny and sexism, will not be heard. Do not register on uh, you know with people anymore because they're just like oh it's just another. You know, it's just another one of those social right. justice warriors getting their panties Polygon, in the water right. or something like that. Yeah, you know, and, and it, that I think is that's an interesting that's an interesting point, and certainly it's not something that we need to have happen. We certainly do not want people to ignore actual instances of those things because we need to be working to end them. Right. Um, you know, before we wrap up the the conversation, Brent, I will say I'm not sure historical accuracy <laughs> is, is is a legitimate given, argument. Given the presence of griffins and so forth. That's exactly right. I mean, and it is is kind of one of the arguments that's being leveled here is that like well at that time in that part of europe it was pretty much white and you guys I, mean, I, I, I do see i could see someone responding with like yes but there were also no griffins motherfucker so why can't you put a black guy in there why can't we have someone for the middle east no yeah. but um 
You know, it's interesting, Brent, and I honestly, I'm, I keep going back and forth, and I don't know that I'm going to formulate a, a real opinion now. I, I felt strongly about it coming into the discussion, but the more we've sort of hashed it out, I'm not sure. So I, I think that, to me, usually is the sign that it's time to turn this over to the listeners, the people who pay the bills, uh, and let them sound off on the topic. I think it's a really interesting one, and I'm very, very curious to know if people feel like this is inappropriate uh, for it to go read the review. I want to know if you think it's inappropriate to be in there or not. All right, Brent, it is time to hit the road and talk about what we've been playing this week. It's a fairly short list. I have one game. I have two, you, barely. You have two. So start with your, your first game, then, before we get into, of course, The Witcher. What uh, else have you been playing this week? Project Cars. I, I've been playing a little bit of Project Cars. Of course, I, I was gone for a few days, so I haven't, uh, I haven't played much of either of these. But uh, I did start, as opposed to the, just the quick racing, which is what I was doing in last week uh, when I was talking about Project Cars, I have gotten into career mode. I've started a, uh, started a, a new career in the game, and I'm, I'm working my way up from, uh, from kart racing, buddy, where, where it all starts for... Uh, a lot of professional drivers and um like Mario Kart racing? Well, I mean it's not it's not like you know there's goofy sound effects and power ups <laughs> on the track, but yeah, I mean you're essentially talking about uh you're you're talking about go karts, basically, but uh, go karts that are uh you know, they can go hundred miles an hour. Uh so you're talking about a, a form of racing that is very near and dear to my heart, uh, because I uh, actually can race uh, carts as opposed to racing yeah. formula one which i cannot do but um anyway so i'm kind of working uh, i'm working on the cart series right now in project cars i'm going to go through the career thing and all that I, I i do enjoy the game quite a bit although there is one thing that i would i do really miss from uh from gran turismo and that was the licensing the licensing uh tests and everything in gran turismo were essentially your tutorial section that was like where they really kind of taught you uh, the fundamental basics of driving and everything in the game. And even if you know those things intellectually, it's helpful to to get a lot of practice in doing them in the game. It gets you used to the controller and the game physics and that kind of thing. And I I wish that Project Cars kind of had something like that. I think it'd actually be really helpful. Uh, but uh, they don't have it. And so I'm not going to whine about it too much. But it's just one of the things that... I, I think that the, the series would would be really. I think it'd be cool to include, and it would give you, uh, you know, just give you kind of a leg up as far as practice and everything. Because right now I'm basically practicing by losing races and uh, and then replaying those races and slowly getting better. Yeah. Um, Brent, you want to talk about The Witcher Three? Oh God, do I want to talk about The Witcher Three? Well, I don't have much to say. I, I mean, I'm I'm still very very early in the game. Uh, I'm I'm just going after the Griffin right now. I mean, that's that's what I'm doing. Oh, 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 oh wait so, a minute! Spoiler alert. Uh, it's not much of a spoiler. I mean, if, that's out there in the in the gameplay trailer for the game. I mean, come on. So. Uh, are we gonna are we gonna keep it spoiler free? They did no that that is not it, and it's fairly early in the game. Are we going to keep it spoiler free, Brent? Um, I think we're gonna keep it spoiler free. All right, yeah, that's fine. I, I am. Uh, I, I played Brent. I played twenty two hours of The Witcher this week, which is to say to you, I played that's a lot. I spent fifty percent of the time I spent at work this week. I spent with The Witcher. <laughs> Um, I am currently level seven or eight, I think, yeah. after 22 hours. Um, I am in love 
with this game. Yeah. It is, this game is Red Dead Redemption. Mm. I don't know if you've been able to realize it yet, Brent. You're still in the prologue area, no. which I spent uh, about, I spent about nine hours in the prologue area. Right. Um, but this game is Red Dead Redemption in almost every way, with the exception of the fact that it's got, uh, I mean, obviously it's a completely different world, and um, but it's got... Like in terms of the mechanics and some of the... Like 100%. Yeah. I mean, riding the horse around. I cannot tell you... How many hours I have spent picking flowers? I've picked a few flowers myself in just the short time I've been playing the game, which is only maybe an hour or two. But uh, I've I've picked some flowers. I know what you're saying. I, I am picking. I cannot walk past a flower if, if it's there. I cannot walk past it. Uh, I have spent a not insignificant, insignificant amount of time, Brent, playing Gwent. Uh, Gwent is actually pretty fun. I, I I was surprised by how much I got into that. Gwent is a very, very good. Uh, uh, many say better than Hearthstone. I haven't played Hearthstone, but Gwent is a game that I, I would be shocked if it doesn't break off and have its own whatever it is that's mobile what app. Or I, that's what I was going to say. I was like, well, you know, where's the iOS app? Where's the Android port? It's coming. they've said no right now, but I, it, it, I, I imagine it has to, or, or a tabletop version of the game, or whatever. Or, it's an or a fan made version. You know, somebody. It's else. an excellent, excellent game, and I can't wait for for uh, mods on this. But yeah. Um. So so let me back up, Brent. So I had some real problems at the beginning you know i got a new 970 yep uh to play this game and the game has some real technical issues on the pc and on the uh, ps4 and xbox version um there's a significant amount of stuttering in the cutscenes, uh and my game while running at 60 frames per second uh or more if i unlock the frame rate i was running at upwards of 80 frames per second with all my settings split between high and ultra mm-hmm. um it's running at 60 70 frames per second it was still stuttering terribly in the game um I patched all the way up to 1.03. It's now at 1.04. Yeah. Uh, and the stuttering in-game still was not fixed. And so I found an article on uh, PC Gamer, actually, recently, that sort of did this um, explanation of why frames per second is not an accurate uh, uh, measuring stick for performance. And they talked about how you can drop frames in between the frames or something like that. Uh, and still get the juddering, even though you're running at 60 frames per second. And they po- it points you to use this tool called Riva Tuner, okay. R-I-V-A Tuner, statistics, statistics Server. Oh, I've heard of this. Uh, and there's there's instructions on PC Gamer as to how to how to configure it. Uh, and you, it's, it's an app. It's an app you have running in the background, uh, and it uh, it fixed my stuttering problems. So no, okay, now so it fixed your stuttering problems, or it gave you like a diagnosis. On how no, to no, fix it, your it fixed problems. the stuttering problems. Okay, the app itself did that. So I have to have the app running to fix the stuttering problems. Without the app, I, it's still not patched well enough. My, my game is still juddery while I ride a horse or walk. Or yeah, mine my, my was pretty. Uh, mine was pretty jittery as well. I, I was surprised by. I was surprised by how choppy it felt, and uh, and I was I was pretty disappointed too because I felt like finally here's a card that's going to kind of flex my 970s muscles, and you know like I turned everything all the way up and. I mean, my frame weight was like 48 frames a second, you know? So, I mean, it wasn't 60, but I'm like, I'm fine with 48. Right, you should be fine at 48. That's that's fine. And, but it was so choppy. I'm like, this feels more like 20 frames a second. Um, Yeah, it was, it's awful. And and they still have not really fixed it, but this Riva Tuner statistics server uh, fixed the issue. And so right now I have that running and I can run it now at 60 frames per second with, um, I have it locked at 60 frames per second with the hair effects on, um, uh, and so, so it's running great. So I was really, I was Sweet. really upset when it first came out, and I felt it wasn't playable in my opinion. It was like so juddery that it wasn't playable. Um, but after I fixed that, 
you know, I began to play it and, um, God damn, man, the game is unbelievably beautiful. Yeah. It is uh, like Word. from an art design standpoint, from, uh, uh, just a graphic standpoint, it's fantastically beautiful. Um, the game is not perfect. Geralt moves like a tank, much like John Marston did. Yeah. Uh, so many years ago. I mean, Geralt doesn't, doesn't move eloquently. Although interestingly enough in combat, he's much more fluid. Um, I'm really enjoying the combat. I'm loving the, you know, the combination of signs and oils and potions and, and the actual combat itself and the RPG, the buff, you know, the, the skills trees. Yep. Um, they're very easy to access, much less confusing uh, than they were in Witcher 2 and much better explained, much more well explained. Are you playing with a keyboard and mouse or controller? So I play with the controller on the TV. Um, I recently, after probably 12 or so hours of play, maybe 14 hours of play, um, I was watching uh, a, a piece on IGN, and Max Schofield talks about how he wasn't quite getting this sense of discovery that he had gotten from Skyrim, and he was kind of bummed about that. And he said, you know, I'm gonna do, I did something that most other people won't do, and that is, I, he said, I turned off the HUD. And oh, I yeah. thought, oh, that's interesting. He said, I stopped looking at the HUD all the time, the mini-map. He turned off the mini-map, actually. Uh, he stopped looking at the mini-map all the time, and uh, he began looking at the world, and it was much more of a sense of discovery. And I thought, I'm going to try this. And for the first 45 minutes or so, like I had to make myself do it because I was using it so much. Like to Everywhere I would go, I would follow the dotted line and maybe looking up in the right-hand corner, and I forced myself to do it for an hour. And after I did it for an hour, I haven't turned it back on, and I have no desire to because I don't look... I have most, almost all of my HUD turned off now. The only thing I have on is um, my potions and how many potions I have mm-hmm. and my health bar and that whole segment up in the top left corner. But those things go away except when you're in combat. Correct. So when I'm not in combat and I'm just riding my horse or whatever, I have no HUD on the screen at all. That's cool. I, I think I might do that because, uh, you know, I, I, well, I, I just I remember I remember thinking about our conversation on on the show where we we kind of talked about mini maps and you know whether or not it was you know maybe maybe not such a great thing and uh i i'd be very interested to experience the game like that and since i've experienced so little i don't think it would really hurt i don't think it would really hurt all that much to uh, to switch over to it now no you do you have to get used to it you have to accept like i do jump in and out of the map a lot more yeah sure uh using the pause button and i wish there was a quicker way to do that because of that like if there was just a quick way to bring up the map um, but, um, like the M key as an example, uh, if you, yeah, something like the M key on my controller, yeah. uh, if I could just yell M map, um, map. um but, uh, I, I truly love it, Brian. I love, I love how customizable I, I'm, I'm assuming it's this way on the consoles. I love how customizable the HUD is. You can really, yeah. so the other thing I left on, for example, is when my armor is broken or weapons are broken, it shows an icon. I want to know that. Yeah. Um, but uh, so I turned off most of the HUD. Like uh, I appreciate that I could turn off this. The one thing that drives me nuts about the Witcher games, and I don't know why they would even put this in there, is the chatter, uh, the subtitles for the chatter yeah. of, the, of the, like all the NPCs. <laughs> all, so you'll be walking through a town in the, in the pub. Yeah, you're like in a pub, and all it is is like 50 lines of dialogue printed across the bottom of the screen. Yeah. Um, but I turn off all subtitles. I don't. I started with subtitles because when in a world like this, that's a fantasy. I kind of like to see the words they're saying mm-hmm. because the names of the cities and they're kind of weird. But I, I, I prefer it with having the subtitles off. So I turn those all off as well. Um, but man, I am just. I, this is uh, this so far. And I'm 22 hours in. I think I said um, 
this is up there with the with and I say this uh, with the caveat that no game is as good as Journey. <laughs> uh, Journey is like in its own category off in the ether, and then there's everything else. And I would say that this game is up there with the best games ever made. I mean, it is so. I sit down and play, and I truly feel like I'm inside of this world in a way that few other games, in my opinion, have achieved. And you know, Red Dead among them. It's really, it's been a very powerful uh, experience for me, and I and I love it. And there's there's flaws all over, um, uh, not all over, but there's flaws. Their their portrayal of children like is just awful. Just the actors, like they can't for whatever reason they can't seem to write kids, and they they can't find actors that play them well, and it's super annoying whenever there's a kid on screen. Um, yep. things like that. Uh, my, you know, I've had, I've had the game, uh, um, crash several times in the beginning, but that's gone away. But, um, there's clip, you know, I've, I've had a couple clipping things, just a couple, but they've been there. Like the game's not perfection, but it is, uh, it, the sum is far, far greater than the parts. And, and I find it to be extremely engrossing. I, uh, I'm anxious to, uh, to reach that point with it myself. I, uh, I haven't been able to get, uh, get to, I, I will be able to get to it as much as you do. Just because I don't have that kind of time, but uh, well, since I'll be out of town for the next two weeks, I might be able to catch up. You never know. You'll have a little time to catch up because I won't be able to play it at all. But I, I'm anxious to do that because I have really enjoyed what I've played thus far, and uh, I'm just I want to get into it more and kind of get over the. I'm I'm still in the initial stage where I'm I'm still kind of learning the game. I'm still kind of you know figuring out the combat and you know what the best strategy is and all that. And I, I kind of want to get over that that hump and just get to the point where I'm just experiencing the game. I'm having fun playing with the signs. I, I, I stuck with Igni a lot at the beginning, which is the fire sign, because mm-hmm. it's the most gratifying. And then I th- for a while, I thought, <laughs> you know what? I'm going to try using the one that gives you a shield. I haven't used that for 10 hours. Like, I wonder if that's any good. And I started using it, and I was like, oh, wow, this is really, really good. And then I read somewhere that it's, it's in your best interest to upgrade your... I can't remember which is which. act The, the one that makes you take over people's brains. Mm-hmm. It's in your best interest to upgrade that because not too far into the game, you'll start being able to use it in conversation trees. And so I upgraded that and I started using it in combat and it is incredibly useful in combat. And once you upgrade it in a way that I never thought it would be, um, I was fighting some flying creatures just to give you an example. And I, and I hate fighting flying creatures because you never know like how well the mechanics work in the game. Uh, and I found if I waited for them to get close and I cast this sign, it would take over their brain and they would fall to the ground. And just like kind of writhe on the ground, and I could kill them. And then it's shish kebab city. I mean, I just it just absolutely slice and dice them. Um, it is, dude. It's it's it is it is on the it feels on the level of Red Dead Redemption. Genuinely, it feels on the level. Now, I'm so happy to hear that. I, I don't know that it will like the the type of world is not as compelling to me as the old West is, and I will be absolutely shocked if uh, you know I, I've I've heard some reports at the end already, but I will be shocked if the emotional experience that I felt like Red Dead provided at the end mm. uh, and the whole overarching story and the father and son and all that stuff, I'll be shocked if Witcher achieves that. But the ride itself is, I mean, it's the whole, the whole thing, dude. Strangers, the stranger missions, the yeah. you know, side missions that take two hours. It's just, it's really incredible. The One thing that amazes me about games like this, though, dude, is, and it, it's starting to frustrate me is that every single person in the world, there is nobody in the world you can ask, hey, can I borrow a dollar? And they'll be like, sure, you can borrow a dollar, but you'll have to pay me back two bucks or something like that. It's always, always everybody in the world. It's always, can I borrow a dollar? Yes, but you got to do something for me first. Yep. That's always the response. And just once I want to see in this game, somebody say like, oh, sure, here you go. Here's a dollar. Yeah. Just for variety's sake. 
Just, I mean, it's it's well, like everybody's got like it's, it's an agenda. Every, I, I can't imagine why why people would feel that way. Um, that's that's for the mod community to sort out. The mod community will Which sort I can't out wait for, dude. realistic loaning mechanics. That's why. Why it got to be about money? That's right. Why you got to make it about money, Brent? Um. All right. It, it, it's really that good, and I think you're gonna be. I think you're gonna be pleased once you dive in. So I guess it's time to head into the sunset. That it is. Close things out and uh, and get ready to uh, get ready to uh, finish the show. Lauren, uh, why don't you go first? Uh, what's the uh, what's the end of the sunset topic you wanted to uh, bring up this week? I just wanted to take another minute, Brent, to reiterate how great The Witcher Three is. That's what I'm going to be doing, you asshole. No, no, no. no. Uh, my uh, my topic for End of the Sunset is actually another Kickstarter, Brent, that one of our listeners pointed out today. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I don't know if you had a chance to go watch the video or not, Brent, but it's called Umbra. Not yet. Uh, and it's kind of they're sort of describing it as, or or uh, they aren't, but people are describing it as a Diablo uh, made in CryEngine. Okay. Uh, it's PC and Linux only. It's from a company called Solar Fall, which I. Uh, I believe this is our first game. It's three guys that sort of started working on this about four years ago. Kickstarter's up right now. It's got about 20 days left. It's only, you can get the, like the, the level, the tier level where you get the game is 15 bucks. Uh, although the release date, estimated release date is October 2016. Uh, but go watch the video, man. It looks like, it looks like a, like just an absolutely beautiful Diablo-esque uh, game. Uh, and it looks really, really interesting. So I encourage people cool. to check out Umbra. Very cool. Uh, for my end of the sunset, I want to uh, just reiterate real quickly how awesome Danger 5 is. And I appreciate all of you who have been messaging <laughs> me and uh, tweeting at me, letting me know that you're checking out Danger 5 and you're enjoying it. I'm very, very gratified to have been able to uh, share that with people and spread a little bit of the love. Lauren, have, have you found your way back? I know that you watched the first episode and you're kind of like, I don't know. It didn't really grab me. Did you uh, check out any others? I have not made my way back to it. I have, uh, 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 like I said, I put 22 hours into The Witcher, so I have not really been watching much of anything, but uh, I did watch about half of the first episode. I didn't love it, as I told you, but I told you, I promised you that I would go back and give it another shot. Uh, please do, because I think, well, well, and, and I don't know, I mean, it's it's one of those things that, like, I think that the, the, the sort of the style of humor of the show, uh, which is, it, it does lean absurdist. And the sort of the kitsch factor of the show, you know, based in in the sort of the 60s nostalgia, spy genre and all that thing. I think if those things are not to your liking, then the show's just not going to work. But if you do like those things, then I think that that coming back to the show might, you know, you might buy into it at some point. So I wasn't expecting, I, I think I was a little taken aback by the uh, uh, miniatures brand or puppets or... No, yeah, the miniatures. Um, you, the, you mean like, the like, like the cars? And felt. And- the felt <laughs> that everything is made out of or whatever. <laughs> that like, yes, not the... Uh, I, I think that took me aback a little bit. And so I think I needed to step away and go back. But I, I will check it out. All I right. will check it out. Knowing that your love is so deep. Oh, it is. Oh, it is. Danger five is danger. Five is it, man. Um, real quickly, I'll just mention, uh, I've got a link here in into the sunset. It's the last Witcher three thing I'll say in the, uh, in the show, but uh, CD project has responded to the issue we talked about last week with the, uh, the downgrade on the Witcher three. Uh, they did an interview with Eurogamer where they talk about what happened and why they did what they did and why they've responded as they had. And I think it's, uh, it's worthwhile to go check it out. It's, it's interesting to read their responses and, um, I think that uh, I, I I think that that people have faith that uh, CD Projekt is going to make this right, 
and they certainly seem to be uh, seem to be intimating that they're going to continue to support the game and that they are going to try and uh, and smooth things over uh, with their audience on this. So anyway, in light of what we were talking about last week, I wanted to point that out and direct people to go view that if you haven't already. Indeed. All right, Brent. And with that, I think we will call it a show. Remember, I will not be here for the next couple of weeks, but Brent will with a couple of other co-hosts that I think you will find exciting. Uh, as usual, we want to hear your guys' thoughts on everything that we talked about on the show this week, whether it's uh, CD Projekt Red and how they respond to the downgrade issue, the Umbra Kickstarter, the Witcher 3 itself. We, of course, would love to hear what you guys are thinking and uh, if you're playing it, which we know you are. Uh, Project Cars, uh, what we talked about while we were hanging out in the clubhouse, the boy who cried white wolf, uh, Adrian Shamaro is his critique of Arthur Geis' review of The Witcher 3. And up in the garage, we talked about the new retro VGS, the ukulele Kickstarter, Rockstar Games filing a lawsuit against the BBC, and the possible Batman Arkham Asylum, Arkham City PS4 remaster. We want to hear your thoughts on those topics and anything else in gaming that you want to talk about as usual he is brent adams and i am lauren Baumgart. and remember you don't stop playing because you get old you get old because you stop playing <laughs> <laughs>